0: If you got a Bible, want to turn in it, we're going to start off in Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to move to um, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at two passages this morning. We're continuing our series called Equip, and uh, and we're Equip the Church, and we're trying to equip uh, you and ourselves to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. Uh, When Jesus started the church, he had some specific intentions for us, things he wanted us to do, who he wants us to be. And so we're looking into the scriptures, making sure we have a biblical view of how we're supposed to function as a church. If we don't know what we're supposed to do, then we're likely not to do it well or not to accomplish what Jesus wants for us. And so one of the things we believe is that the church was created on purpose for a purpose. And we know how important purpose is, gives us direction and meaning. And so as a church, we need to be uh, firmly connected to our purpose. And so we're looking at different biblical purposes that the church is meant to achieve and accomplish. And this week, we're looking at the purpose of fellowship, Christian fellowship. Um, Fellowship is something amazing that happens for us when we become disciples of Jesus. We choose to follow him. We get to be a part of his body, um, it's called in the in the New Testament is kind of a metaphor for the church. His body, it's a community of people gathered together under the name of Jesus, under a specific set of beliefs that we'll look at today with a specific purpose. And the goal is to build unity and to build up a group who has the, um, has the power to encourage and help each other as well as help the world around us. And so we're looking at that today. One of the, a statement of purpose that we have for this Um, fellowship for our church is aware that we need each other, we put our differences aside, bonding together in the spirit, lovingly fostering unity with all our hearts. We want to find that ability to work together, to love each other, to be connected so that we can accomplish the mission that God's called us to. We can help each other and we can again help the world around us. To be part of a physical, local church is an essential aspect of the life of a true follower of Jesus, a true disciple. You cannot accomplish and experience all that God has for us as followers of Jesus on our own, isolated away from other people. It's not how it works. We're we not going to grow. We're not going to mature. We're not going to be, become the disciples of Jesus that he wants us to be in isolation. In the Western world, the Western church, we have a tendency to isolate. Community fellowship is something that's a little more difficult for us. We live in an individualistic culture. And so we have to work at this. And so we want to look at, again, the scriptures and what they teach us regarding fellowship and this connection that we're supposed to have together. Um, Chuck Colson, who's uh, um, has been a leader in the church, he's passed away now, but he was actually part of Watergate back in the 70s. Some of you may have heard of that, or maybe you were even alive when it occurred. And it was a big scandal in our country um, regarding our President Nixon. And, and so uh, Watergate had some individuals involved in it, and Chuck Colson was one of them. He actually got imprisoned for his involvement. And he was not a believer in Jesus. He was a worldly man. He was successful in the world. But in his experience, his experience as a prisoner in jail, he came to faith in Jesus. And so upon his release, um, he became uh, became publicly known that he was a believer. And he was ridiculed for it in the papers. And he got a lot of criticism. But he also had a lot of people that gathered around him. And so he was able, over time, to start a ministry called Prison Fellowship, which actually... um, is still active around the country in prisons helping lead people to Jesus. And he wrote a book called The Body, which is in relation to the church. And he wrote this about being part of a church. He said, yet membership in a confessing body is fundamental to the faithful Christian life. Failure to do so defies the explicit warning not to forsake our assembling together, as Hebrews 10.25 says. His understanding of this prompted Martin Luther to say, apart from the church, salvation is impossible. Not that church provides salvation, God does. But because the saved one can't fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church. Membership becomes the indispensable mark of salvation. So highly does the Lord esteem the communion of his church, Calvin wrote, that he considers everyone a traitor and apostate from religion, who perversely withdraws himself from any Christian society, which preserves the true ministry of the word and sacraments. And so we see in our church fathers this um, essential aspect of being a part of a church, being a part of a local church, not just attending, but being a part of it. And so we wanna look in the scriptures at what does this fellowship um, entail? What does it involve? And we actually have a word um, that if we go back to the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, Koine Greek, we have a word for, that's translated into fellowship in English, and that word is koinonia. And so the first thing we wanna look at in terms of fellowship in Acts chapter two, we're gonna see this word come up and we're gonna unpack it a little bit and figure out what it means and what's involved in it. But the Greek word for fellowship, first of all, is koinonia. Let's read Acts chapter two, starting verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so we see in Acts the explosion of the church following the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit um, comes upon the 120 or so believers that were in the upper room, um, waiting as Jesus had commanded them. The Holy Spirit falls upon them and empowers them. And so they spill out into the streets and there's thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem from all over the world. And so Peter, the apostle, steps up and preaches a message and he preaches about Jesus. And tells them who Jesus is and, and who he really is and talks to them about he, that he was God, that he was killed, that he rose again from the dead and that they must believe in him and put their faith and trust in him to be saved. And the Bible tells us in Acts that 3,000 adults placed their faith in Jesus and that group, the ones that stayed in Jerusalem, that were from Jerusalem, some of them left, they were from around the world, the ones who stayed there started a fellowship. We call it a church And these verses tell us some of the things that they did together because they were drawn together by the power of God and what he was doing. Something new was going on. And so they connected and they started to form this community, these relationships, and they sacrificed for each other. And they shared together, they participated. And we're going to unpack that word koinonia in a minute. But one of the things that we do here at Mitchell Berean to foster this type of fellowship is we encourage involvement in what we call life groups. And life groups meet typically during the week, most of the time in somebody's home. It's a smaller group of adults who meet and gather to um, connect around some specific things and to share in one another's lives. There's a verse in Acts that I didn't read that I wanna read now that I've grown to understand fellowship by and life groups, how they should function uh, comes from this verse. And I think it's really, um, if we follow these directives, we really have biblical fellowship. But in Acts 2.42, this new community of believers, it says all the believers devoted themselves so they had commitment to their commitment to four things, the apostles teaching. So they're gaining the truth. We now have the New Testament, the apostles teaching. So we study scripture to the, to fellowship, and that is that community, that connection to each other that they 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 shared, to sharing in meals, and so they would eat together, including the Lord's Supper, and so as they met together in homes, they shared a meal, they would also practice what we call communion, we do it together in the service, but they practiced it in these smaller groups as they met in homes, and then lastly, to prayer, and so to the scriptures, they would study, they would learn. Remember, Jesus taught the disciples in the Great Commission to teach these new disciples to obey everything I commanded. And so they spent time learning what Jesus commanded, what were Jesus' teachings from the apostles. And then they had a commitment to this fellowship, to this group of people. They said, I'm going to be there no matter what. I'm going to meet with you because I need to be a part of this group and I'm going to be committed to it so that I can build relationships. So you can lean on me and I can lean on you. We can get to know each other. And then they would eat together. Um, share a meal, including communion, Lord's Supper. And then they would pray together. And so those, it's a great prescription for a great life group because it provides that connection, that environment where you're gonna grow together spiritually. You can begin to carry each other's burdens and pray for each other and know what's going on in each other's lives. We all need this kind of support. Without Christian fellowship, when we are in isolation or we do our own thing, that Lone Ranger Christianity, we tend to lose our spiritual power. We don't have the power in our walk with Jesus. And so we begin to fall into maybe sin patterns or we don't wanna speak up for Jesus around others. We have weaker testimony because we're not empowered, we're not encouraged. It's kind of like that illustration of a fire. If you have a fire and uh, we've got a fireplace at home and... I'll build a fire and it'll develop these red coals that are super hot, right? And that fire will warm our house and sometimes gets it too warm, right? But, um, But it's very powerful. But if I take one of those coals out of that fire and I set it on the hearth, it doesn't take very long before that coal has gone out. And the same thing is true for us as Christians. We need to be around other believers. That's how we gain encouragement. That's how we gain that spiritual power so that we can be those individuals that in the world we live in today can speak up for Jesus. And that's what we need to be. And so we, we find this fellowship. We have um, Joe Blankey, who's one of our elders, has a great testimonial story, him and his wife, about the, the power of being in a life group to help them get through difficult situation, a health crisis. Sometimes we can't see the future. We don't know what's coming. We think everything's great. Everything's fine. And then we go through something that really shakes our world and without any support, We're kind of weakened in it. And so again, the need for fellowship is really strong. Um, we struggle to open up, to kind of get real with people. We're scared that somebody's gonna misuse that, they'll gossip against us, they'll you know, all those fears that we have, and I know we've experienced some of that at times. So we need healthy groups that build trust, that can be open, can share with each other. Groups that are really revolve around the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and his presence, and so we're building real love and concern for each other. Koinonia, the word for fellowship. What does it involve? How do we define it? Well, there's some words that help to define this word. You do a word study in the Bible. It's a study of a word throughout scripture and you can find the definition of the word by doing that. There's resources you can can get to help you do word studies. And so the word koinonia, do a little word study on that. And there's some words that come out of that that are descriptive of it that help us understand it. The first word, In English, to help us understand this Greek word is contribution. Make a contribution. To be a part of a fellowship, Christian fellowship, is to make a contribution. It's to contribute to it. And so I'm bringing something to this group. I'm gonna add, I'm gonna give. We have lots of ways to do that. In the early church, we see that they would sell something and they would bring money to the group to help provide, right, to help um, give. By the way, I can't tell you a more wonderful sound in church than a baby crying. Can I get an amen? Yeah. It's the best. I can talk loud, so I can talk louder, but I love it. Okay, so here's the thing. I want to contribute. And so God doesn't ask us to contribute more than we have. He doesn't ask us to give it all in the sense of, you know, financially contributing to a church. But when we contribute financially to church, we're able to do things together. We're able to make a difference in the community. We can have leadership that can help provide the ministry and support what's happening. There's a lot of good things that happen when we contribute financially. We don't talk a lot about it here at the church. We don't even pass a plate to take an offering. We have boxes in the back. A lot of our um, people that uh, give to the church give online now. Um, But I want to encourage you that to give financially is a part of what it means to be a part of a church. The Old Testament taught a tithe, which is 10%. In the New Testament, there's more of a heart of giving and a desire to give. Give out of a cheerful heart and give because you want to, not out of compulsion or because it's a duty. And so we don't, that's part of the reason we do it the way we do. We don't want anybody to think that in order to come to church hour, you gotta pay. That's not how it works. But contributing financially is part of being a part of a local church. Now, again, like I said, we're not asking you to give everything you have. That's a Jesus thing, that's between you and God. But as a church, we say, give give out of what you have and give what you can. There's a story told about this idea of contributing and kind of helps illustrate what we're talking about here. There was a hog and a hen that were sharing the same barnyard. They heard about the church's program to feed the hungry. And so the hog and the hen discussed how they could get involved, how they could help. The hen said, I've got it. We'll provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the the hungry. You've heard this before, yeah. The hog thought about the suggestion. He said, well, there's one problem with your bacon and egg solution. For you, it requires a contribution. For me, it's total commitment, right? And so we're really saying that you're contributing. When we contribute, and again, I know there's a lot of people go, how... Could I give 10%? And 10% is a lot if you're not used to it. And so I don't really necessarily encourage starting there. Um, start with something. But I led a life group one time that had a single mom in it. And we were talking in our lesson about giving. And she, uh, she said the thing that one day somebody asked her, how can you afford to give? You're a single mom. You have bills. You surely don't have a ton of money coming. How can you afford to give 10%? And she said, my answer was, how could you afford not to? <laughs> She's so like, I, I can't imagine not doing that because that is part of my act of worship. And so anyway, it's between you and God, but participation, or excuse me, contribution is a part of what the word koinonia means and to be a part of Christian fellowship. The next word that we see in English that can help us understand this word is participation. Participation. That means involvement. Um, yes, I go to church attend on a weekend. But again, we're a church that tries to encourage participation. And so we've really tried to grow the ministries that happen here so that you could be a part of something. You could serve. And so we really see that serving is a biblical concept. We're all given a spiritual gift to contribute to the body of Christ. And so we can serve to help the ministry happen. This changes how we view it. I know when I was in college, first got to college my freshman year, and I had played a little bit of basketball on the high school team my senior year, but I was pretty new at it. I didn't know a lot, but I went to this little Bible school, and you could walk on, and so I went and attempted, right, tried out, and somehow the coach allowed me to be on the team, and so um, there were two of us freshmen that made the team, but uh, we set the bench a lot because we were new, and uh, there was an experienced group of guys that played together, and so we were sitting on the bench. Well, my buddy not me, but my buddy started to get a bad attitude about the team and about the coach. And uh, and uh, he didn't, we weren't getting to play, right? And so I found that it's easy to get critical when you're not participating, right? Um, you look at everything that's happening and think that isn't right. They're not doing the right thing. But about halfway through the year, I started to get some opportunities to play. And of course that attitude was affecting me too. And But I got some chances to play. I got in the game and I got to contribute and it changed. Kind of my attitude towards the team. I think that being a part of a church to participate, even if it's in what might seem to you like a small way, it really is a big thing. It helps to change your view of the ministry. And so, as life groups, we encourage life groups to serve together. And there's some simple ways you can serve. We need greeters on a Sunday morning. We want everybody to feel welcome as they come in. And so we encourage our life groups to serve together, hand out our little bulletins and just say good morning and a warm handshake and a smile goes a long way. Um, We encourage our life groups. Another way to serve is to be part of the maintenance team. Um, We have some deacons now, David Keener and Britt Bowen. they're both here today, and these guys are leading up our maintenance team. And so the third Saturday of the month, we have a breakfast, and we have a maintenance team that, that does some work on our three buildings. Great way to be involved. We have a Wana that occurs on Wednesday nights, and Wana is about 75 kids that come, and they're wanting to learn the Bible, and we're trying to help them. And one of the things we need is listeners who can listen to Bible verses. And we also need a a life group. Sometimes we'll prepare a meal for our volunteers so they can come right from uh, work and just um, be able to be here and not worry about dinner. And so those are some great ways to serve and to serve together as a life group. Also, our youth ministry now provides a meal on Wednesday nights for the young people that come. And so there's different ways that as a life group, you could get involved. And uh, we have a meal ministry. We have a funeral team that provides meals for funerals. And so there's different ways that you can get involved. And we've got all information about that through our office or on our connections table over here. But encourage you to consider participation. It's part of the meaning of koinonia. We want to be a part of things. And then the last word that can help define this word koinonia is sharing. And certainly we see in the early church here where they sold their possessions and they shared with each other. And so here we have a benevolence ministry meant to help share in the needs of our church and our church body. And uh, Rebecca Conrad, her husband, they lead that up. Again, another way for you to get involved and connect and be a part of this church, to contribute, right? To participate and to share in in the ministry. We we wanna encourage you guys. I I know it's kind of pushy. I'm sorry, but I don't just want you to attend because you're not gonna get out of the church what God wants you to have. And fellowship is really at the core of what church is about. And that involves more. And I know we're all busy and we have a lot going on. I can tell you that if you make decisions to put first involvement in the church fellowship, it's not just because we need all your time and money, or I'm not trying to just soak up your whole life, okay? But you need, in order for you to grow, you need to make these commitments. You need to participate at a higher level. And so that's really what I'm trying to encourage. I'm not trying to beat you up. I know it's a little pushy, part of the job. I gotta tell you what God's word says, encourage you to obey it. And so I want you to be a strong growing Christian. The world today needs strong growing Christians who can take a stand, who can speak up. In uh, my discipleship group this morning, we're talking about some of the athletes out there in the world that they're speaking up for the gospel and really there's an attempt in a lot of ways to shut them down, right? The world doesn't necessarily want Jesus out there, but these guys are bold. And God's elevating them to positions of success, you know, in a silly game called football. But it puts them on a radar and they're speaking up for Jesus. And this is what I want for you in your life. I want you to have that kind of boldness and strength. And that comes in part being a part of a fellowship. Well, there's some enemies of fellowship, which I want to look at next. Ephesians chapter uh, chapter four, excuse me. Ephesians chapter four. And so we have some enemies of fellowship. We're going to see a positive presentation in Ephesians chapter four of the pluses, okay, what a church is supposed to accomplish, how we're supposed to accomplish this fellowship together. But I wanna kind of flip it because you can read, when you hear things addressed in the scriptures, you can guess what's behind them, you can see what's behind them. And so there were some problems here that Paul is addressing in the church in Ephesus. And so there are similar problems that we will have today and, and they're enemies of fellowship. And so let's read verses uh, Ephesians four, two through seven. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, Holy Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So if we unpack this from the other side, the problems, the enemies to fellowship, the opposite of humility and gentleness and patience are pride and selfish ambition. And so pride and selfish ambition will always kill fellowship. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks, and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. It feeds on goodness. And so we've got to be careful. Pride is talked a lot about in the Bible. Again, it came up in my discipleship group this morning. Is there good pride? Is there bad pride? Or is there good pride, you know? So we kind of talked about it. In the Bible, whenever pride is talked about, it's not a good thing, okay? It's always a sin issue. Satan, of course, was tempted and succumbed to the, the sin of pride. And so pride is an enemy for us to get along with each other and to fellowship together. And so um, pride's something we've got, we've got to be careful of. There's a clever salesman who closed hundreds of sales with this line. Let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. <laughs> okay. Pride is something that plays on us and it, it can be played to us and it plays on good things. And so James 3.16 says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find discord and evil of every kind. So again, it brings conflict into our group, brings conflict to us. And so the antidotes of pride and selfish ambition, again, are listed here in Ephesians 4, and they are humility and gentleness, humility and gentleness. Henry Ford said, coming together is a beginning. Staying together is progress. Working together is success. The second enemy of koinonia fellowship is a judgmental, critical spirit towards each other that kills fellowship. Um, Critique is essential for improvement. We all need critique, okay? We need... um, Positive critique, right? In other words, constructive criticism is what I like to call it. But it's that idea that, hey, we're, the desires for improvement, and so we all need that. But criticism is not necessarily something that we need. We know that the the enemy, the devil, is a condemner, and so this is something we got to be careful with in the church. Um, we can find positive ways to deal with it. We're all going to face criticism, and so of course we want to consider it. Is there something there? And then if there is, make the appropriate changes. And that's essential for all of us. But as a people, we don't want to be full of criticism towards each other. Critique, I said, as I said, is fine. But we need a lot more encouragement than we do criticism. In order for us to grow and succeed and thrive, we really need that. Um, we talk, again, as men, as fathers how we can be really critical of our kids. We can get on them all the time, and yet they need that, but they also need encouragement. And so how do we balance that out? How do we keep everybody moving in the same direction when a critical spirit will shut things down? And of course, I try to encourage myself and others that a critical spirit is not from the Holy Spirit. That's not a gift of the spirit, okay? That's typically something that comes because we've gotten lodged into our relationships some hurts and some issues that aren't resolved. And so we really have to work at that. Again the antidote for harsh judgmental critical culture that can happen is love which Ephesians Paul's talking about here and love leads to patience and grace that we show to each other and we make allowances for each other's faults. I want to tell you that allowances making allowances for each other's faults is incredibly difficult. It acknowledges something very important that I have faults and you have faults. I mean You've probably been around here long enough. I've been around here long enough. How do you know, how many of you know that I have faults? <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. Okay, I do. How many of you know you have faults too, right? Okay, so we all have faults. And Paul acknowledges it. faults aren't good. They're problems. They're issues. They're negative. They're areas of, where we're not sufficient. We're deficient. And so part of getting along is acknowledging that we have faults, being able to look each other in the eye and say, listen, I'm not making excuses for myself. I don't want to stay where I'm at, right? But I do have faults. And so I'm going to show grace and love to you while you do the same for me. And this is what allows relationships to continue. I know I do a bit of marriage counseling. And a lot of times in a marriage, the issues that we're trying to deal with that are on the surface aren't really the issues. There's underlying things that go deeper. And most of the time there's some unforgiveness, unresolved hurt that leads to resentment and resentment will lead to really harsh criticism. And so we wanna be cautious about that. We wanna grow spiritually to where we're overcoming these issues. We recognize them. All of us can get really critical. We're all critics. We are, I mean, we go through life and we critique a lot of things and that's part of life, it's not all bad, but there's a tipping point where it becomes destructive. And so again, of fellowship, Paul says, listen, here's how you work together. This is how you maintain fellowship and keep it going in the right direction. Um, Patience, grace, and overlooking. Making allowance, right? Making allowance means I made room for you to not be perfect. I made room for you to have faults. Um, The third enemy that we can see in this passage on the converse side of it is conflict. Conflict also kills fellowship. So getting in fights with others, again, without resolving them, Kills fellowship. It kills that connection, that relationship that I have with somebody. That's deeper. I can have a surface relationship with you, but to have a deeper relationship, I've got to be able to make peace. Um, I've got to be a peacemaker. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew five, Sermon on the Mount. He preaches about blessed are the peacemakers, people that can make peace. Now, peacemakers are not avoiding conflict. That tends to be peacekeepers. <laughs> they avoid conflict, but peacemakers really engage conflict, but the outcome needs to be peace and that leads to unity. And of course, in Ephesians here, we bind ourselves together with peace. It's the cords, it's the rope that ties us together. It keeps us together when we have a tendency to drift apart. And so peace has to be what we fight for, what we work towards and what we're, we're unwilling to accept anything less than peace. And so we're willing to, uh, again, to work towards that um, with an unrelenting effort. Growing followers of Jesus are not going to be fighting with people all the time. You guys know I've used this illustration before, but if you go out, start your day Monday morning, and the first person you encounter is a jerk, it's pretty likely they're a jerk. But if you go throughout your whole day, and everybody you meet is a jerk, you're probably the jerk. Right? Do you get it? Listen, it's tough. We can have bad days too. I do too, but we're trying to work to this place of unity. And I'm trying to um, recognize that in and of myself, I need to be a peacemaker and work towards peace. Again, a growing follower of Jesus doesn't have conflict all around them, but they are able to achieve peace. The antidote again for working uh, is working for unity, which is fostered by peace through the bond that the Holy Spirit creates in us. I don't know if you've done this. My wife will do it sometimes we go on a trip or traveling somewhere and she sees somebody in a store or we interact with somebody, have a conversation. She goes, I think they're a Christian. I'm like, okay. And then pretty soon we're in a conversation with them and she's finding out they are a Christian and and we're talking. But um, this is the interesting thing is that through the bond that the Holy Spirit um, creates in us, that connection, that it's like a magnet. We're drawn to other people who have the Holy Spirit too. And we're able to fellowship with them and have that deep connection with them. And so the Holy Spirit is really key in this passage to focus on the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are able to achieve peace and unity. And so we need to do that. We need to be tapped into, connected with the Holy Spirit, living life by the Spirit. And this allows us to achieve that unity that might be impossible otherwise. The Holy Spirit... Produces in us love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And all of these will build up the relationships around us. We, of course, can't control other people. And so there's times we get in conflict that we can't fix. But we want to be working for it. We want to be living life by the Spirit. And really, when two believers are involved, there should be an ability to achieve peace and unity. Uh, The fourth enemy that I think we see in this passage um, that Paul, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tries to address, is making majors out of the minors. Making major things out of the minor things that will kill fellowship. And so Paul addresses a list here that we're all unified by, a set of beliefs of core truths that, that draw us together and keep us unified. Much of the New Testament is dealt with dealing with people that have drifted out of these core beliefs. And so they have heresy that is brought into the church and a lot of the New Testament writers are dealing with that. And so that's a serious issue. But when it comes to those core beliefs, do we know what they are and can we agree upon them? Really, what does it take to be a Christian? And there's different lists that you can find. The Berean Fellowship has a doctrinal statement that's pretty simple and pretty clear, pretty basic. But Paul has a list here that's basically the same thing the majors of our faith. And he says, first of all, there's one church or body of Christ, right? The Holy Spirit binds us together. But he says there's one hope of the second return. That's the resurrection of the body to eternity with God. One Lord or savior, that is Jesus Christ. One faith, that is one way to salvation through faith in Jesus. There's one baptism, it's water baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God who is sovereign and supreme over all. These core truths are what allow us to connect, right? And the rest of the things, we have opinions, we have viewpoints, we wanna be careful we don't make those things into the major things that will determine whether or not we can have fellowship with somebody based on those things. They're just secondary. And so we gotta be careful of that. And I know in our culture, we have secondary issues that are very important. And so every church has their set of core issues, but this is an example that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus that would unite them. We don't want to make major things out of the minors. And that's been a battle for the church over 2,000 years. Part of connecting to a church, identifying yourself with it, is to be a part of it. Koinonia, that fellowship that I want you to have, that Jesus wants you to have, he created the church so you could have. I wonder if maybe this year you'd take some steps, some extra steps, to experience that kind of fellowship. It's not gonna be easy. The enemy will battle against you because he doesn't want you to experience that. It kind of keeps you where you're at in your walk with Jesus. But if you'll take a step, if you'll risk and try some relationships, right? Be around some other people. You might find God really blesses that and you experience something so wonderful you couldn't imagine it. And that's really what's possible in and through Jesus. Um, In a church that we served in previous, we had a life group that we started and there there was a gal that joined it and her husband wasn't following the Lord, and so she just came by herself. Her name was Cindy. And she was there, very regular, very faithful. And pretty soon her sister started coming, and we started getting to know the family a little bit. Her mom lived out east, and pretty soon she'd visit and come, and we just got to know her. And she became a part of our group and built relationships. My wife got to know her a lot. And she just, with some of the ladies in the group, really built that connection and started, you know, studying Scripture and praying for each other, just encouraging each other. And she was growing. She got baptized as a follower of Jesus and really made that commitment to Christ and then um, about a year in, she got a cancer diagnosis and it was really tough. And over time, of course, we prayed for her and we supported her husband. It was a difficult relationship, and, but we were there for him. We just continued to try to support her in the hospital with her all the way through it. And, uh, and, and um, you know, as a result of that, she passed away. But um, she indicated over and over again for her, her two girls, how important it was to be in that fellowship of believers. You know, the senior pastor in our church, I don't think he ever went to see her, but we took care of her because she was in our little church, right? She was in our little group. And so I think that this is so important. We don't know the future and we get in trouble when we get isolated and we go into trouble. And in 2024, I talked to somebody this morning, it's not starting off great for a lot of us. There's some, it's not like a smooth sail here, right? And so I just want you to have that support that you're meant to have. Would you consider being a part of fellowship? God, thanks for loving us, for creating the church for us, for coming to this earth, Jesus, and sacrificing yourself for us so we could know you. We could be forgiven and set free. And I do pray that you'd help us as a group of people who struggle at times. We struggle um, with relationships, we struggle with time, all kinds of issues. God, would you just help us to find those avenues where we can experience the fellowship you want us to have as your children? as your people, as your church. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.